Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and um, I say this most weeks, but I'll say it again this week. I've been praying for us this morning. So if you're with us in the room, yay, I'm thankful for that. Or if you're joining us online, I just want you to know that it is my desire, my heart's desire, that you would know this one thing. Well, I want you to know many things, but let's go home with one today. Is that God loves you very, very much. We sing that song as a small child, Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. Um, But let me also remind you, God loves you very much. He's faithful to you. He's trustworthy to you. And as I'm saying these words, I'm believing them for myself too. That God is faithful to me, that he's trustworthy to me. And I want us to walk out with a breath of um, a newness of breath and life of that reality Um, To do that, I've got a little bit of work that I need to do in um, our Bibles today. So if you brought brought a Bible with you, I wish I could say I'm going to be in one main passage. I'm not. I'm actually going to kind of flip through all of Scripture, uh, focusing on seven different passages in the Bible. Now, I I had many other uh, passages that I could have chosen for today's message, but I stopped at seven. And if you know anything about biblical numerology, you would understand why, (laughs) right? That just felt complete to me to do so. Um, But before we get to scripture, I just want to tell tell you a a story real quick, just to set the tone for what's happening. And um, apologies to parents with children in the room, young children, I should say. Um, If there's a a rated R sign or symbol that we could put up before this message, maybe we should have. Um, You you be the judge of that. (laughs) Maybe PG-13 is better. I don't know, but all I want to say is this. If you've been following the news these past few weeks, the name Ravi Zacharias has been in many headlines. Um, Just wave at me or nod at me if you have seen any of those. Many of you will have no clue who Ravi Zacharias is, and that's great. No big deal. I'll just tell you a little bit about him. Ravi Zacharias... Uh, passed away in December, but he was a Christian apologist, and that just means he was a person, a Christian who was part of a ministry. His ministry was he would travel the globe truly to sort of argue um, the case for faith in Christ Jesus. He did so through philosophy and rhetoric and a number of other um, uh, debates. He would debate people publicly. You can watch a lot of his videos online. Well, he's not in the news because he died uh, recently. Um, He's in the news because it is found out that that allegations that were brought against him for sexual misconduct had been proven to be true. For over 40 years, Ravi Zacharias traveled the globe um, for the Christian faith, preaching the gospel in a way that God sort of gifted him to do so. But towards the end of his ministry, some grumblings had started that he had been taking advantage of some women. Um... He tried to bury some of these and did so successfully. In fact, he settled a, out of court for, with a woman that he said was blackmailing him um, to shut her up. Simply put, he, he gave her money to be silent and sealed that case. 
But she wasn't the only woman who had issues with him. There were many others, and it involves a massage parlor. I won't go into the sordid details, but just know this, that the denomination that he's a part of, the CMA, the Christian Ministers Alliance, saw that his... His criminality was so egregious that they have posthumously removed his frock or they've taken his ordination away from him since he's passed away. Maybe Ravi Zacharias is not a person that rings a bell to you. Some of you might know who Bill Hybels was or is. He was a pastor of a church, mega church up in Chicagoland called Willow Creek. In the year of his retirement, allegations began to surface that he had been having sexual impropriety with many of his women staff members. And of course, he Uh, said it wasn't true, and unfortunately, the elders and the leaders of his church and his board sided with him rather than the truth-telling women and made them endure even more pain in what they had to go through. Not only has their pastor and leader of their church assaulted them, but now they have to be called a liar when they try to tell people that it actually happened. And maybe Bill Hybels is not a name that you know. Some of you might remember the name Ted Haggard, a church pastor in Denver, Colorado, who spoke out openly against homosexuality and the gay lifestyle, only to come to find out that he was actually involved in a gay relationship with someone in his church and another massage parlor. Maybe that's the recurring theme here. (laughs) Um, Just so you know, don't ever buy me a gift card to a massage therapist. (laughs) (laughs) unless honestly it's a couple's massage and I can go with my wife. Um, I rarely feel comfortable being naked in front of her, let alone a complete stranger. He's talking truth today, isn't he? What? I'm just visiting the church. I have no idea what he's talking about. Um, That's called levity, everyone, just so you know. And if it's not Ravi Zacharias or Bill Hybels or Ted Haggard, um, everyone will remember the bombshell that the Boston Globe dropped in the early 2000s when their investigative reporting group storyline said that the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, had been moving priests around in Boston um, when, they were com- when they had been found out to have been abusing young boys in their parish. And rather than dealing with the issue, the sexual criminality that was taking place amongst the leadership in the church, they just shushed it and moved these people around. I bring all of this up to sort of thrust us in a couple different directions, one of which I want to spend most of my time in today. The first would be this. It'd be like, there are some serious issues in the church that we have got to address. We need, you could say amen. I'm not afraid of you. (laughs) Yeah, silence. Anyway, so... uh, We, uh, thank you, Mary. Yes, I agree. We need more accountability in the church when it comes to these things. We need to be, uh, maybe not even in the church, how about just in our culture? That when someone comes out and says that a, a woman or a man says that this person has been inappropriate with me, that we should always be quick to believe them first. Anyways, um, I think we should talk about that. I think we should talk about that a lot. I just don't want to do that today. Um, today I want to talk about another thing that's, that's happening, and it's probably happening on the heels of everything that I've just discussed. It's, it's this exodus of sorts of people leaving organized religion and or the church. Uh, Pew Research is informing us that millennials, and I don't know if you know who millennials are, but they're the largest generation, even um, bigger than the baby boomer generation, And many of the millennials are leaving en masse from organized religion and the church. Many of the 
people in the church thought, like I did for a while, that those people, those millennials, oh, they'll come back to church, right? They were raised in it. They know the truth. It'll come back. They'll get older. They'll marry and have little kids of their own, and they'll make their way back to church. And what we're finding now is they're not. And many of them are leaving the church. And when Pew Research asks them why they're leaving, many of them point to the scandals that are happening in the church. It's probably driven by this one idea. There's a psychological idea or term called projection. Many of you have heard of it. I think Sigmund Freud used it a lot. And don't freak out because I used his name. But just know this, that it's a, it's a concept that um, it's sort of a defense mechanism that we as humans use to protect ourselves, uh, Freud would say, our ego. He says this, that we find the character traits, the attributes, the thoughts or feelings that we see in ourselves and or others and we project them onto other people. Um, this is not just psychobabble. In fact, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, sort of mentioned some of this in his Sermon on the Mount. And I don't have the verse for you. I'm just riffing at this point. I'm soon to start my notes. Bear with me. <laughs> Right? But Jesus Christ in his Sermon on the Mount says something like this. Why do you bother yourself with the sawdust in your neighbor's eye when you have a plank in your own? You see, the idea is kind of like we see some of the things in our, our own lives and we project them into others. And Jesus is just drawing that distinction. Yeah, he's got some of it, a sawdust amount, but you've got a ton of it, so to speak. Well, I think what's happening, I think with millennials and maybe many of us as well, is that we're projecting some of the issues, the character flaws, um, uh, the lack of morality, the lack of good leadership. We're projecting um, those things from church leaders onto God himself. And when the leader in the church is not a trustworthy individual, we can then begin to project and surmise that maybe God himself isn't trustworthy. But that, I think, would, to, would be a great disservice, if that's the right word, um, to believe that about who God is. In fact, rather than us projecting onto or letting some other uh, thing define who God is, it's probably best to allow God to define himself or explain who he is himself. And to do so, I'll turn to our first scripture. It's in the book of Exodus. And um, I'll tell you the backstory as we get there. There's a man named Moses. Nod at me, wave at me if you know who Moses is, right? Moses, yes, he's a man chosen by God to lead God's people into freedom from Egypt into the promised land. And he's up on a mountain at one point, the Bible tells us, and God is giving him the Ten Commandments. Real story, God is giving him the Ten Commandments again. <laughs> he had already given them to him once, and, and Moses took the Ten Commandments down the mountain and saw God's people acting a fool, and he smashed ashes said commandments and makes his way back up the mountain. God says, I'm going to give you another set of commandments. And in this interaction that God has with Moses at the top of this mountain, God explains who he is. Look here in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And this is God speaking about himself to Moses. It says here that the Lord passed before him, Moses, and he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. Uh, some of your translations might read Yahweh, Yahweh. This is sort of a personal name for God. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and if you're one of God's people who are just acting a fool at the bottom of the mountain, you're happy to hear those words. 
abounding in steadfast love, and he says, faithfulness. Faithfulness. The, uh, the Hebrew word that's translated there as faithfulness is a word called, uh, I think I wrote it down here, uh, emet. Now, I'm not going to act smarter than I am at what I'm about to say, uh, and I, I've learned these last many weeks from something called the Bible Project. If you've heard of the Bible Project, in fact, I asked them to put a slide up behind me. I don't know if they've done that. There it is. Here's what I recommend. Get your phone out and take a picture of that. Right? It's a tremendous resource for us. It's a wonderful place, very learned individuals. They have a lot of study material there. Plus, and this is my favorite thing, they create these little bitty uh, short videos, little animations that describe all kinds of things about the Bible and who God is. Well, they were doing a series on the character of God, the character traits of God, and they're using this verse and talking about those five different character traits, character traits and one of them being faithfulness. Now, I've got to move on because we're going to get stuck here. But the Hebrew word emet, or emet that is translated as faithfulness is used many times in the Old Testament. And oftentimes it's translated as faithfulness, but other times it's translated differently. And a lot of that is spelled out in their study. You can go there and learn it yourself. But some of the other words in English that it's translated to is, is trustworthiness, truth, truthful. And, and another word, which I thought was rather unusual, is a word called stable or stability or steady. So when we think about faithfulness, it's not just like having faith in something or believing something to be true, but it's actually telling us in the original languages that it involves something that's more uh, concrete, sure, settled for us. And, and we, we see that same word emet translated uh, this way in the second verse that I want to bring before you, which is in Exodus chapter 17, verses 11 through 12. The backstory here before we read this verse is Moses is leading God's people and they're involved in a... Um, a battle with some other people, the Amalekites, I think is the name of these people. And he takes the staff that God had used to sort of part the Red Sea, that he got the water from the rock, this sort of, it's like not a magic wand, but think a magic wand, if you know what I'm saying, <laughs> right? It's just a symbol for God's great power. And Moses holds this staff above his head. And when he holds his hands up, the Israelites are winning in battle, but whenever his hands grow weary and he drops them, then the Amalekites start to win in battle. And so it says this, that some people came up, I'll read it here, verses 11. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Verse 12, but Moses' hands grew weary, so they, this is a couple of his friends, they took a stone and set it underneath him, and he sat on it. Good friends, thank you. And, and this is while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. That is that Hebrew word, emet, steady, sure, settled. In fact, many of the biblical authors pick up this sort of understanding and language of stability and call God something that we've heard before. They call him a rock. Have you ever heard God call? I just like, I'm weeping. Yeah. He is a rock for us. That he is sure and settled underneath this. Jesus even talks about the, the wise man building, himself, building their life upon the rock that is in fact 
Jesus. And so he met faithfulness, trustworthiness. These are, um, this is a character trait, character trait that God himself is desperate for, desperate for us to understand and to know about him. And it's not just a word that is used to define steadiness, stability, dependability. It's also used in a covenantal context. And what does that mean? Jeff, you're way too heady today. <laughs> I'm just showing off. I'm really not smart. <laughs> um, it's a covenantal word. It just means this, that not only is, is it used to describe God and his steadfastness, his faithfulness, his truthfulness towards his people, but it's also used by the biblical authors to, to describe God's people having faith in God. It's covenantal. It sort of goes both ways. In fact, we see this in a story of a man named Abraham. If you know who Abraham was, and this is in Genesis chapter 15, um, and I'll give you a little back context here. Abraham had left his homeland to follow after God, who says, come with me, Abraham. I want to show you something. I want to take you to a, a new land. And so he trusts God and goes with him. And then he also begins to speak to Abraham about having, um, making Abraham's faith, or sorry, his offspring into a great nation, okay? The issue with that is that Abraham and his wife Sarah were well into the 90s, and they had not had any children yet. Now, I don't know about you, but not many 90-year-olds have children, right? So, so he, didn't, he didn't know if this was going to take place. But God comes to him in Genesis chapter 15 and says these words. So he brings him outside and says, look towards the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Look at all the stars and count them. And God said to him, so shall your offspring be. And right here it says, Abraham believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Paul takes that language and uses it in Romans. And we'll do that a whole other day. But the word I want you to see is verse 6. And he believed the Lord. That is the Hebrew word emet. So it's a covenantal word. It's a word describing who God is and how he responds to his people. But more importantly, I think um, it's a word that describes how God envisions us responding to him. That we would be a people who have belief. That we would be a people who have trust in him. That we would see him sure and confident and stable able to uphold us in all of life's circumstances, unlike some of the church leaders that we just discussed earlier. Now, Abraham was able to follow God, and he followed him and believed in him somewhat blindly. When he left his land, he didn't know where God was taking him. You ever gone on a road trip with a friend and just says, get in, I'll take you somewhere? Where are we going, you might ask. You'll know when we get there. How many people hate friends like that? <laughs> Right? I'm like terrified of that. I'm an anxious person. I want to know where we're going and when I'm coming home to be with my mommy. <laughs> I don't just want to wander around the countryside with you, crazy people. Right? But sometimes emet or faithfulness, this covenantal word, um, it doesn't require blind faith. I want you to see this. God is, God is very intent on building your faith and my faith so much that he'll reveal himself to us in multiple ways so that we don't have to just walk around going, well, I know you people don't see it, but I believe in it. It's just something inside of me. And, and I think there's a component of that. But hear me, God 
oftentimes will reveal himself in tangible, concrete ways, and he does so with the desire that people believe in him. Back to the story of Moses. Moses is going before this wicked king Pharaoh when God's people are enslaved in Egypt. And Moses goes before the king and says, listen, God wants his people back. And Pharaoh says, no. And God tells him at one point, says, I want you to go before Pharaoh. And I want you to bring him out to the River Nile. And if you don't know anything about Egypt and the River Nile, it was their life source. Every year, the, the river would flood and just bring all this sediment into their lands and it would make it so fertile. It was Their life came from the Nile. And he says, go before Pharaoh and do this. Take that magic wand you have, the staff. I don't want to call it a magic wand. Don't send me emails. <laughs> Anyways, he takes the staff and he says, stretch it out over the Nile and it'll turn to blood before the Pharaoh. And he says to do this so that Pharaoh will believe so that Pharaoh will believe. It's not just about believing blindly, but God oftentimes comes to us and others to prove himself true, to prove himself real. And if you're honest with yourself, and I'm off my notes here, you'll probably recall a few times God has done that for you already. We... uh, we liken them to coincidences. Isn't that, our, isn't that our favorite word for taking right, glory away from God and just say, well, that's the strangest thing that happened? Is it, though? <laughs> like, if you were the king of over everything and loved people as much as he loves you, you'd have done the same thing for yourself. God oftentimes reveals himself to his people. So people have learned to trust in God. Now we're getting on the train. Are you with me now? They're beginning to trust God. He has revealed himself to be faithful and steadfast, and he invites them to be faithful back to him. And so all of a sudden, people believe, and things are going forward and everything. They were finally delivered out of Egypt and slavery, made their way through the desert, stand on the cusp of the Jordan River, about to enter into the promised land, and everything is so great. They have so much faith in God until they see giants. Until they see something they, see, they now think is insurmountable to them. Giants in the land that God had promised them. And what do they do? Do they have faith to just go anyways? To take the land that God promised them? No, they do what you do, what I do. We run and cover. Because of their disobedience and their lack of faith, God let them wander for another 40 years and for an entire generation to die off. That's another sermon for another day. Fast forward some time. Now Israel is being led by a a king, a king named Saul. And Saul is embroiled in a battle with another nation called the Philistines. When I say Philistines, you say boo. Philistines? <sighs> Very good. Anyways, Philistines. They're in <laughs> boo. Yay, thank you. Let's go. Again, that's called levity. So we're trying to keep everybody awake because this is very important. Saul is embattled um, in a, a war with the Philistines. <laughs> you guys are terrible. And, and uh, what's happening is there's a, uh, um, a person, this is a, an interesting thing, that the theme of giant comes back into the story. There's a, a giant, you may know his name, his name is Goliath, and Goliath is standing in a valley uh, with the Philistine, boo, army on one side, yes, thank you, that's enough, and the Philistine army on one side, and the Israelites on the other side, and Goliath comes down for 40 days, and he taunts God's people, and he says, come fight me, you whatever, any, a bunch of Hebrew expletives. I won't go into it. But anyways, he says all these things, and, um, 
and nobody would fight him because they don't have faith again. And enter the scene, the story of a young boy, listen, a boy named David who used to watch his dad's sheep out in the fields. Every once in a while, the story tells us that a bear would come out and try to take a sheep and David would go, "Uh uh-uh, and he would strike the bear and kill it. Every once in a while, a lion would come out to take one of his sheep and he would say, not on my watch, and he would strike the lion and kill it. And he did so, according to him, with his bare hands. I don't know about you, that's pretty B.A. in my opinion, <laughs> right? He has older brothers, and I bet that comes, out, comes up at dinner all the time. What'd you do today? Nah, blah, blah, blah. I killed a bear with this. Check it. This, my hand. So anyways, David enters the scene. Goliath, the giant, stands in the valley taunting, and David is incensed. Why will no one go fight this behemoth? Do you not know who God is and the faith that we have in him? Something like that. And he says um, these words. I'm going to go fight the giant. And Saul says, you can't. Pick this up in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 37. David said that the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of of this Philistine, and he spits. I added that, I don't know if he did, but I, it, I would. I would be like, hock a loogie on him. That's what I would do. <laughs> Again, welcome back. So Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you. And he was, and he was. You know the story, there's a slingshot and a stone and a pretty cruel moment that we never remind our children of, that after David killed Goliath, he actually sawed off his head and carried it around on his, uh, his belt like a keychain for like a couple months. <laughs> like we don't remind our kids of that, but that's a true story. He carried it around. That is amazing. The dead head hanging from your wallet chain. Isn't that cool? So anyways... And all of a sudden... God sees David's faith. He sees it. Of all the nation, of all the people, God sees the faith of a little boy named David, and in so he enters into a covenant with him as well. So he enters into a covenant with Abraham, I'm going to make your nations great, all this stuff, and out of your seed will bless the nations, all these things. And in, in David, he, he adds another covenant. He says, listen, I'm going to make you king, and I'm telling you right now that your throne, the people, your family are going to rule from this throne forever, for always. And I covenant this to you because of the faith that I've seen, because of the emet that I've seen, because of the faithfulness I've seen in you. Oh, I just quoted 2 Samuel 7, 15 and 16, sorry. My steadfast love will not depart from him. I'm going to take it away from Saul. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure. That's that Hebrew word emet. That your house will be made sure, stable, forever, long-lasting before me. Your throne will be established, he says, forever. Because of the trust that you have in me, and I see that trust, and I reciprocate. And so they form this covenant. God's people, unfortunately, fail to keep their covenant. 
In fact, if you know anything about the history of the Old Testament um, and the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, it is a sort of shampoo story, if you will. It is lather, rinse, repeat of the same thing over and over and over again. There are people who have great faith in God and trust in God and they believe in him for great things. And over time, they begin to distrust him. The crucible of crisis comes into their life and all of a sudden they get fearful and they worry, what's gonna happen now? Oh no, and they lose their faith in God only to be pushed away from God to be exiled into a foreign land. Oftentimes this is Babylon or Assyria in the Old Testament. Just know this, the people cry out at some point, oh God, take us back. And God who is a met and faithful takes them back every single time. This cycle of apostasy happens for a very long time. Which shouldn't be so surprising because isn't that the cycle of your life? I mean my life, maybe? Sorry, I didn't mean to. I know it's all about your comfort in this place. <laughs> oh, okay. For about 400 years after the Old Testament, God is silent. We have no writings truly from the prophets to God's people. For 400 years, this intertestamental period, God is silent until there's a cry in a little manger in a town called Bethlehem. And the baby births, baby breaks into the scene of the story. And this baby, you know him well, Merry Christmas. His name is Jesus. Again, the answer is always Jesus. And Jesus comes into the scene. Matthew writes a biography of Jesus' life. And in his birth story, he begins in his biography. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, and he says these words. Read them with me here. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Make no mistake, Matthew is intending to say something here. That those covenantal promises made in the emet or faithfulness of God, given to Abraham, given to David, have seemed to have washed out of the memory of God's people, has now been rekindled of sorts in the birth of his own son, Jesus Christ. And Matthew says, here comes someone who is a son of David and a son of Abraham. He is the fulfillment of the covenants that God has made. And contrary to what you may have seen on the History Channel or maybe read on the internet, Jesus Christ did not marry and have any other children. <laughs> Hear me, this is the consummation, the terminal fulfillment of those promises that God had made, especially in regards to David and his throne, where he says, and his kingdom shall reign forever and ever. It will be emet, established, stable and that is in through, it's all done through Jesus Christ. Jesus, um, I'm finishing here, um, so forgive me. I have a whole lot more to say. Um, Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 1, and these are the words... I did all that work to get to this. Isn't that funny? This is all I wanted. I should have just opened with this. And we were like, let's go get lunch or breakfast or whatever. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Do you hear that? 
Do you hear that? Let not your hearts be troubled. And he says these words, um, believe in God, believe also in me. The word believe there is sort of the Greek equivalent to that Hebrew word, emet. It could also be translated, and some of your translations have this, trust. Trust God, trust what he's doing, and trust in me. He says, trust in me. Let me ask you these questions. Should we trust church leaders today? I'm a church leader. Please say no. Not always. Some of them, some of us are sinful, hiding things, trying to pay people off so that our sins aren't exposed. Some of us do that. And yet, and God and his faithfulness to his people will use broken, sinful people like that to still teach his gospel of salvation. He will use broken people to do wonderful things in the world. He did so through Ravi Zacharias and Bill Hybels and Ted Haggard. He's even done so through me some days. Do we trust church leaders? No. No. Sometimes. Do we trust others? How about this? Do you trust yourself? One of my favorite things to say here at Renaissance is no one's lied to you more than you in this room. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You're the worst to yourself. This will be the year that I change. Ha, ha, ha. So when it comes to the things of faith, we're not unlike the people of God in the Old Testament. We promise, we declare, we... (laughs) This is not to poke fun of this, but we grab accountability partners along the way. Let's meet for coffee every week at five. Dumbest idea ever, (laughs) right? We drag along people with us because we have so much faith in ourselves, right? So much trust that we can do this. And we can't some days. We need faith. We need to trust Jesus. There's a man named uh, Gus Gordon, uh, Augustus Gordon. He travels the United States for six months every year, and he preaches the gospel to do so in churches all across America. Um, And he's working for a ministry called Feed the Poor, and he's raising money in these six months to then um, give to this mission group, Feed the Poor, where they take that money and they feed people in Haiti and some of the poor countries in the Caribbean. And for six months, Gus Gordon travels to uh, the United States and he does that. And for the, the next six months, he does something that I think is amazing. He lives as a hermit in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. <laughs> Legit life goal right there. <laughs> I love you people, but I want to go away some days. So um, he's living for six months as a hermit. Six months, he's gospeling. Six months, he's hermiting. I don't know if that's a verb. And six months, he's gospeling. He's back and forth, back and forth. And somebody asked him one time, hey, Gus, how would you sum up the Christian life in a sentence? He goes, sentence? I don't need a sentence. I just need one word. Trust. I just need a word. Trust. Brennan Manning takes that idea in his book, Ruthless Trust, a little step further, and he says this. Therefore, we should never be discouraged by our faults. We can begin by not being so astounded or astonished by them. A little child, he says, who does not know how to walk is not astonished at stumbling or falling with each step. 
You and I, we get going for a while. We do our best and then we trip and fall. But like a little child, we should not be astonished that we fell. We should just get back up, put our trust in Jesus and continue. Because I assure you, his kingdom is secure in him and not you. The invitation is to join him in it. I'm out of time, but you need freed from the things that are binding you. You need liberated from the try hard, try harder stuff. I'm all for disciplines. I love disciplines. I'm disciplining myself even as we speak every week trying to memorize scripture again. But the disciplines are birthed out of a love and a devotion and a faithfulness and trust to Jesus. I'm not earning anything from it. Everything I've earned comes through Jesus Christ. Everything I've, I have comes through Christ and his work on the cross. He dies upon a cross for your sins and my sins. He's buried in a grave. God raises him from the dead, the first of the resurrection, of which all who have faith to believe will one day resurrect too. It blows our minds to talk like this. But it is in Christ Jesus only. Let not your hearts be troubled, he says. Trust in God. Trust in me, he says. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. He loves you. He loves you. He sees you. He knows what's happening. He's not taken unaware by the circumstances that you find yourself in. He hears every tear-filled prayer and cry out to him. He hears every expletive-laden cuss thrown his way because he doesn't seem to be working it out in your timeline. He hears it all. And he's faithful to you. Dude. (laughs) It'll blow your mind. Oh my gosh. Uh, Well, I'm a wreck. I'm a wreck. All right. Um, The band rehearsed so hard this week. They have one more song they want to lead you in for worship. So I want to honor them and get off the stage. I want to invite you to stand up. I want to pray for us. Oh, God, we thank you so much for everything you do. You are so good to us. God, let us not look to church leaders, friends, even ourselves, and project a character flaw upon you because you have no flaws. That your love is steadfast. That you are slow to anger. You are compassionate. And God, you are faithful to us. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you give us the faith to respond? Would you open our eyes to see the work of your son Jesus Open our eyes so that we can have the faith to believe. God, for those of us who have been wayward, maybe the past few months, maybe even this past weekend, God, would you pull us back 
pull us back. Help us to rise up, not to dust off shame and condemnation and to move into forgiveness through Jesus, to move into restoration through the blood of his son, Jesus, shed on the cross for us. Liberate us, free us, and let us trust in the process that Jesus is doing in our lives. We will get there when we are supposed to get there. God, we love you. Amen. Amen. God bless all of you. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.